Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. White noise, a bonkers Welford Road match and Willie LaRue with more air miles than a jumbo jet. They all feature in this week's podcast and alongside me to discuss it all is The Telegraph's Ben Coles. Ben, how are you? Very well, Brian. How are you? Interesting uh, times, so to say, in the Premiership, isn't it? With so many clubs that separated by so few points and so many possibly going to be fighting relegation. Absolutely, yeah, Worcester's win has uh, has definitely changed the uh, the outlook of the league and you've now got Sale in bottom spot and there's a, a bit of familiarity at the top with Sale, with Saracens and Exeter, sorry, doing what they're doing and, and still being unbeaten. But yeah, there's lots of teams kind of tightly packed in that middle area of the league. Well, we'll be speaking to uh, Scott Britz later on, but let's start at Welford Road. We're in quite incredible scenes. What's the first win? Despite being 37-11 up, Tigers came back in. Well, who do they thank? Do they thank... Uh, the, uh, Alan Solomon's quoted the American philosopher, Albert Hubbard. A little more persistent, a little more effort, and what seemed to be hopeless failure may turn into glorious success. There is no failure except in no longer trying. Well, you can never accuse Worcester of not trying throughout any incarnation, can you? But this season, although... They have lost many games. They've been quite close, quite a lot of them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they had those kind of bonus points after the first three games and and there's clearly a, a good kind of belief in that club that they are designed for, for better things and their recruitment over the summer certainly suggested that. But, but I think it's the manner of the way they built that lead at Welford Road to go up 37-10 or whatever it was was, was just outstanding. And, and equally at the same time, Felt a bit sorry for their supporters when Leicester were getting try after try and just edging closer because you can imagine they were thinking it was the uh, the same old story all over again. But great belief, great character, and, and a sign that it's a sign of Leicester's struggles that, that Leicester are losing games like that at Welford Road, but also the fact that Worcester were able to dig deep and do that, and that a youngster on debut in Ted Hill at just nineteen got two tries, and and the winner is is astonishing, really. Jordan Murphy, the now head coach at Leicester. We are talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And a question from David Gilbert on Twitter saying, look, modern rugby requires specialist coaches in all areas. Attack, defence, set-piece seems to be standard practice. Why do Leicester Tigers feel this doesn't apply to them? 
That's a good question. I mean, I mean, especially with defence, when you look at the uh, some of the numbers out of Sunday's game, the fact that their tackle success rate was about 74% and that they allowed uh, 20 clean breaks by Worcester. It's just absolutely phenomenal that a team like Leicester is shipping that many points on a per-game basis. And then when you look at the list of coaches, who is the defence coach, who is managing that? There is no specialist defence coach. You have a, a forwards coach in Mark Bakewell who had a big impact when he arrived last season and... And Boris Stankovic is doing the scrum and then Jordan Murphy. But but there is, whoever's manning the defence, there's clearly a need for some extra input there because of the way that Leicester are shipping points and at the rate that they're shipping points as well. Did we ever get to the bottom of the rapid, if not instantaneous, departure of O'Connor? <laughs> I'm not sure we've uh, we've had all the, uh, all the details yet, but it's certainly... As it's been discussed on this show, I know the the timing of it was remarkable, the fact that that he was given that one game and then dismissed so rapidly. But I know that Leicester gave a good response against Wasps and and that they've been highs since then. But but I think this was a real real shock. And and our our Leicester relegation candidates, it sounds so outlandish to say, but but when you look at the way they've started the season, the the results don't reflect very well on them as a squad. No, I'm I'm sure they're not. But I I just wonder, have you heard anything as to an official reasoning? Because you've got the usual platitude in terms of thank you very much for all you've done now, bye-bye. But uh, I couldn't, as far as I'm aware, I haven't been given chapter and verse as to the exact reason. I mean, there was certainly unhappiness amongst um, Tigers supporters with the way Leicester finished last season. And, and the fact that that's carried over to this season and the fact that it wasn't addressed over the summer it kind of sums up how, well, not very well regarded O'Connor was. But no, there's not been any kind of details that have come out yet about what actually led to the split. But, but Jordan Mur- Murphy is clearly held in very high, reg- high regard by this Tigers squad. And, and therefore, as someone who is Leicester through and through, it makes sense for him to take over from a couple of games. I don't think I'd have had him as the head coach on a full-term basis for the rest of the season. I think the temptation would have been to to bring in a, a kind of a big-name coach with experience to kind of dire- give Leicester a bit more direction because while Murphy's clearly very popular with the squad, he is new to this and there's going to be a lot of pressure with that. As, as we saw when he had his post-match interview the other week and, and he said what he said about games going soft or 2PC or whatever it was he said and then he had to come out a few days later and apologise and backtrack really. Well Steve Diamond who is uh, succinct and direct if nothing else when asked what they needed to improve because they're uh, well at their bottom at the moment he said everything we need to improve everything so that's just a short uh, recipe isn't it look Willie LaRue is it I mean it's not tenable to be flying around the world I mean look he's still playing because he's a class player He'll be in bits, won't he? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable that he did play, but it, I guess it's a sign of how much Wasp kind of kind of missed what he brings to the attack. And you saw it actually with the, with the first two tries, the touches he had for Nizam Kar's try, and then Josh Bassett's the the little passes that he makes, the kind of runs around the back. He's he's going to make a, a brilliant combination with Lima Supawaga. It doesn't seem like a, a solid kind of system to have him kind of flying across the world one week to play one game and then and then be up in Salford for the next one. But but at the same time, I guess Wasp have invested a lot, a lot of money in him and if he's going to be available, they'll want to play him. And, and by contrast, I think Sailor really missed Faf de Klerk at Scrum Half in these opening weeks because of the, the direction that he offers in that position. Well, Exeter, top of the table, remain there. I mean, they scrapped a win over Newcastle. Newcastle, difficult start to the season. Uh, quite a few narrow losses. And I think uh, partly, not just second season syndrome, but very difficult for them to maintain. You could make a case for them overachieving. The, the wins have been narrow. 
difficult to know what else they they can do because uh, what was working last season not quite working this season. Yeah, and and I think what, one of the things that was overlooked in the off season was how much experience they actually lost because a lot of the Falcons players who'd been there for a long time and who had been kind of driving the club, guys like Rob Vickers and Ali Hogg and Nilly Lati was there for a couple of seasons and he moved on, and Scott Lawson as well. That, that's a big chunk of experience that went out the door. And I, I think, especially watching Ali Hogg on doing the TV coverage on Friday night, it was noticeable what a key leader he is and how those kind of players kind of drive the the vibe in the dressing room. At the same time, they had their moments against Exeter. I thought Johnny Williams was excellent in midfield and he's come up from London Irish this season. He's, he's another of those London Irish players off the production line who's now shipped off elsewhere. You've like, got a feel for Irish, haven't you? The you number do. of players they've had taken off them who are now starring elsewhere. Especially. I mean, Joe Cook and the Seagull is another example, isn't he, down at Bath? Um, it is going to be tough for Newcastle to repeat what they did last season just because nobody predicted them to come forth and... And they were exceptional. And, and at the same time, they made sure they did enough to damage the Chiefs and that Exeter weren't really at their best on Friday night. The mall didn't really get going. And I know they scored two tries off it, but it wasn't the usual effective unit we're used to seeing. So it's going to be an interesting season for Newcastle. Well, we'll discuss Sam Simmons in the context of the England squad. We have lots to talk about there. If you're a Quinns fan, you must look at the table and, and wonder how... They are in sixth place, given some of the, well, terrible defensive displays that they've had yeah. uh, this year. I mean, it's obviously down to the huge win that they had uh, on the opening weekend. But when you're talking about teams that might have to scrap it out, an old, you know, one of my old teams, and uh, I just fear for them because there's a fragility about them sometimes, which gets exposed. And against sides that are, you know, quite ruthless and physical, then they always seem to be slightly underpowered. Yeah, it comes back to that. What we do every season, don't judge how a team performs on the opening day because you would have looked at how um, Sale performed that day and admitted they are in trouble now, but they've got better players and they can do more. Whereas Harlequins looked absolutely amazing and then now they are struggling and against Bristol, where they were hit hardest was the fact that they, they conceded double the amount of penalties, 13-6. to 6. Their discipline really cost them. But in attack, they were they were pretty blunt. They only made two clean breaks in the whole game, and this is a side that's meant to be kind of oozing attacking talent. And yet, Bristol were were dogged in their defence, and, and Harlequins at times this season just haven't been. It, it's tough for Paul Gusted to, to kind of come in there, and the amount of work that he has to do is is ob- is becoming more obvious every week because uh, Harlequins keep falling down in so many areas. But the fact that they they only managed thirteen points at Bristol, and the, and the defensive flaws that they've had means that he has a hell of a lot of work to do in a very short space of time if they're going to be stable in the league. Well, Quinn's habitual problem for several years has been no matter how many points they do score, they they were also conceding them. It's not a new phenomenon. And if anything is within uh, Gusted's purview, surely that is the that, that is the one. Yeah, it certainly is. But a bit at the same time, he's, he's clearly got a lot of work to do based on how, how far behind Quinn's are in terms of what he has in mind, I mean the the grizzly bear in the uh, in the Harlequins training facility that leaked out over the summer. That I'm not sure how much good that seems to be doing, but he's he will be the right mind for the job because of his defensive experience and what he did at Saracens and also with England during those first couple of years. Um, it's going to be tricky to implement that in a quick amount of time. And for Harlequins fans, it's been such a, a, a tough couple of years with what happened with John Kingston. I think they were expecting a bit of a bounce back year, and and that's not happening straight away. Well, it is very difficult to compare any squads to the Sarri squad because it is blessed with abundant talent. But when, for example, you just look at their bench 
and the Quinn's bench. There's absolutely no comparison at all. Yeah, certainly so. Yeah, the, the amount of depth that they were able to bring off against Gloucester was was astonishing. And I think the other thing for Quinns is that their leading players are, are really have started the season in excellent form. Maritoji was great on Sunday. Owen Farrell as well. Macinvulapola was was man of the match. Harlequins need similar performances from their frontline players and from the players that they've invested in if they're going to be able to to climb up the table. But but you're right, they just don't have the depth that Saracens have, and, and that's because Harlequins are essentially starting from scratch again. In that they they will have academy prospects. If but if you're trying to attract talent to Harlequins and you've got other clubs like Saracens in the area who, who teams can look at and look at what they've achieved. That, that's an uphill battle that, that can take a, an awful long time to kind of to develop and to get a competitive squad again. Well, really pleased to say that we can now speak to the former Saracens and South African hooker, Short Brits, but there's a bit of a delay and he's on the team bus. So if you get one or two rude things, we'll just have to apologise in advance. Hello, Shulk. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Hello, I'm ben. OK. Now then, what was it like? What was it like winning? Winning in New Zealand? It was unbelievable. To be honest, we had a had a tough week in Brisbane, and uh, well, the plan worked. For once, the plan worked, Brian. Where do you think South Africa are in their preparations now? Um, uh, you just been talking about Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in a building phase at the moment. New coaches, new players, young players, very exciting players. And uh, but with with time, they'll they'll grow and get a lot more experience going. So. Um, it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic group, great culture, and with time we'll hopefully become the Saracens, the Saracens um, from an international perspective. I tell you what seems to be a hallmark of the side. They they seem, even from this far apart, and even not seeing them behind closed doors, seem to get on, seem to have bonded really well. Gone as the uh, you know the terse, turgid thing, a bit more enjoyment. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's actually my main role in a bit of rugby at the moment, is, is uh, helping out on the cultural point of view. It's how do you create a place where everyone, I think in general, from a working perspective, where, yeah, where you want to be uh, excited about going to work every day and having fun and yet working hard. Um, although everybody says rugby is not a job, it's, uh, there's a lot of emotions involved and uh, you want to get the best out of every player and management and everything it must be a place to have fun but yet as I said work hard well let's talk about Saracens because it was billed as Farrell versus Cipriani in the end you had to feel sorry for Cipriani because the Saracens were just so dominant in every facet of the game on the back foot all the time but I was mentioning to Ben the incredible depth when you look at their bench what can be done to stop them uh, Brian, what, what is amazing is Saracens has been building on this product for 10 years, uh, from Mark McCall to Brendan Fenter back in the day to Edward Griffiths to everyone that's actually been involved in the last 10 years has built a product that is pretty special. And everyone is working hard to keep this culture now at Saracens. So it's, it's, I feel almost bad for teams that's trying to build a new and playing against a team that's been together for 10 years. High school, just wanted to ask you about um, Mario Toje and what, what do you think is his his best position? Because he's just had a stormer at six, but obviously he's been used a lot by, by England in the lock position. Ben, what, what's amazing about Mario is you just have to have him on the pitch. Basically, as a lock or as a flanker, whatever you put him on, he, he's going to make a difference. 
Um, and it's scary to think he's so young, but yet so talented and a mature as a rugby player. And, and not just as a rugby player, but as an individual. I mean, although everyone just sees his great rugby player, he's a great academic and he, he studies the game and, and has a lot more just than just play rugby. Personally, if you want to ask me what where does he fit in, I, I, I guess his answer would be is whatever the team needs. And he's a great team guy. So from that perspective, I'm looking forward to seeing how he evolves and eventually it come, comes a point where he decides where he wants to play. Uh, Scott, how important is Sanderson in the setup? You often hear him obviously giving touchline interviews and what he's very straightforward guy when I've met him. Um, how efficient and, and what's his worry strengths? Well, what's amazing about the whole coaching squad, everyone knows exactly their role they play in from a coaching perspective and then from a culture perspective. Uh, Alex is essential to our culture. He's been there from the beginning. He understands the players and he, he, he helps out in, in more than just a coaching role. He's a mentor for a lot of the players. Uh, People just see Alex as a defensive coach or uh, as a guy that talks every now and then on, on TV, but he first started off from a, from a force perspective. Now he does defense. He's evolving as a coach and as a mentor. I mean, he's just... Um, and, and so is Mark and so is Dealey. Everyone's got their role, but uh, Alex has been amazing for, for what he's achieved at Saracens and from a cultural point of view. Good, Jessica, finally, how is uh, retirement treating you? Well, it's been weird, um, Brian. It's from retirement to back in the Springbok squad, um, pushing hard to <laughs> to get into a place in the in the Springbok uh, bench or starting lineup. It's, it's been um, there's been no retirement. I've been retired for two weeks, and now I'm back. I, I know that's what I meant. I thought you were going away. <laughs> no, no, no. It's um, currently uh, in the team bus, the Springbok team bus. We just had a function to celebrate Nelson Mandela's Heritage Day, and um, we are training this morning and we're preparing for Australia this weekend. Fantastic, mate. Thank you for speaking to us. Good luck. All the best. Thank you, Brian and Bob. Cheers. You. What an amazing player and a great bloke as well, actually. Yeah, really enjoyed his uh, two-week retirement. It didn't last very long <laughs> at all. Well, I, I suppose, you know, to me, when I asked him the question about where the Springboks are, yes, they are in a building phase, but... They and the Australians always turn up ready at the World Cup. By hook or by hook, it doesn't matter how poor they seem in between, they have got good records and they will be the same again. Yeah, certainly. It's a really interesting game in, in Port Elizabeth this weekend, partly because of what South Africa do off the back of that um, amazing win in, in New Zealand. Uh, the, the tackle counts in that game especially were, were just unbelievable from Franco Mostert and Peter Steftatoy in, in the low kind of 20s. Um, and then Australia, on the other hand, Michael Checker is under an unbelievable amount of pressure off that loss to Argentina. But but we're you sure. can't tell, can you? <laughs> well, I'm surprised any of the furniture survives. You know, in the uh, well, whatever they call the team box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly got a reputation for that, and and you can tell because he has been chippy in press conferences when he's been asked about how he kind of views his his future in the role. But but like you say, you've always got the sneaking suspicion that by the time we do get to Japan next year. So South Africa will be even stronger off, off the back of this New Zealand win and that Australia will have worked things out. I, I certainly think Australia have got some selection issues that they really need to fix in 
in the front row with who they bring in there. And, and it seems like Bernard Foley's been ditched at fly half. That's quite a bold call to, to bring in Kirtley Beale there. But but they just need to get some results. And so say Australia topples South Africa this weekend, then the rugby championship table's all over the place and, and you've got teams getting confidence from different results and, and others losing confidence elsewhere too. So yeah, they're, they're in an interesting place, both those teams, but South Africa's certainly um, in a stronger position under Razi Erasmus. Well, back quickly to uh, the Premiership and uh, a Bath win, 17-15 at home to Northampton. It was always going to be a transitional season for Northampton. I suppose what you are praying for if you're a fan is that the transition doesn't include having to fight it out at the bottom but you have to say that they and other candidates because Worcester are closer this year it's unlikely that one team is going to be cut adrift No, no that's true we might get a proper kind of relegation battle um, up until the end of the season which which would certainly add a lot of drama Um, Feel sorry for Dan Bigger, conversion coming off the post and after a wet, horrible game at Bath where they Northampton kind of had their moments in attack, but in terms of the set piece, their their scrum and line out really, really suffered. I think I think Bath stole six or seven line out balls, which is which is huge in in the Premiership at this level, even on a wet day like that in those conditions. So Northampton have to improve in that set piece area, otherwise they are going to struggle as we get into the winter of the season. Um, well, Bath notoriously uneven. Uh, capable on their day of you know of beating nearly everybody, mm. but um, quality players. I mean, Mercer standing out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and now they've they've just had the one defeat in the four games now with that second win, and I think that's that shows that will ease a bit of the pressure on Todd Blackadder because it's always been it's been very tense down there over the over the summer and over the start of the season regarding his kind of future and are the club going in the right direction and and will. Bruce Craig kind of pulled the trigger again, but he's been defiant throughout. Todd Blackadder has over the last few weeks that that there's no such talk, and, and actually his players have come out as well and, and rubbished any reports that he is on the way out. So uh, that kind of uh, mentality could galvanise them and actually prove to be beneficial as the season goes on. But I mean, the tools are there with the players available to Bath. Hopefully, Sam Underhill's injury isn't too serious on, on the weekend, and and we'll see how they progress over the next couple of weeks. Well, time to switch focus to the Guinness Pro 14. I'm very pleased to say we're joined by Sean Lamont, the former Scotland international. Hello, Sean. Good evening. How are you? Okay, mate. Not a good weekend for Scotland. No, it was not, unfortunately. Well, I mean, look, Southern Kings. We we all know that they uh, the South African franchise. There are different prospects at home, but how much of the home advantage made it count, or was it Glasgow just off the pace? Um, I think it was a bit of a combination of both, to be fair. I presume that the South African sides were, were up for it being their, their home leg and whatnot go, and I think Glasgow just were not at the office. I think it was just, you can put your finger on one thing, because when you look at a game like that, you can understand that maybe one or two guys were off the boil, but everybody was just not up to up the form, and bleeding 21 points within 20 minutes is a, is a, a tough comeback for, for any level, let alone a fairly competitive league so I think it was just one of those days where nothing goes right for you Well only four games in and you know as you say league position uh, still good is it possible just to wipe the slate clean and, and say look let uh, these things happen let's move on Oh, They've got to I mean I know their result in terms of the, the usual form and to be fair the guys will take good learning from it obviously they need to look after the ball I think Dave Rennie said it after the game they had something like 15 turnovers in the first half alone, whereas 
Glasgow normally push a bit, but they normally around that number for the whole game, let alone the first half. So, that, and that's and that's what let them down. Obviously, the, the opposition took took the chances when they, they were handed it. But if you hand any team that many turnovers, let alone penalties and the rest of it, it's it's going to be a tough day at the office. Hey, Sean, it's been here. Um, it's been, you, you've touched on it there with the turnovers. I, I was digging. Digging through the numbers, and I think it was about twenty-three turnovers in the end, and they only made sixty-two out of eighty-six tackles, which which is alarmingly bad. Dave, yeah, Rennie, I mean, Dave so I was just going to say, Dave Rennie seems like the kind of coach who will who will not enjoy those numbers and might come out with a bit of fierce kind of message in training this week. Is that what is that what is needed here, or is it just a case of of moving well, on? It kind of is because you can't allow your standards to slip, and for any if that comes down to a game that they needs to win and, and later in the season it, it comes to haunt them and you can't be having th- results like that and those sort of whether it's a mental slip or just one of those things you can't be letting that sort of stuff creep into your game so I'm, I'm pretty sure the guys will go through it with a fine tooth comb I know a lot of the guys there and they're all they're all fairly uh, strict on themselves when it comes to that side of things so they'll, they'll be going through and I think I think Roy Jackson said it, it's just one of those one of those games that I think because they got behind so so early and so well behind so early, even at half time, if I was watching the game, I think in around that twenty five mark, I thought, do you know what? Even with that, knowing how fit the guys are at Glasgow, I think they could have still called it back. But then they lost a couple more tries after half time, and I think when it gets to like thirty points to 20, 12, I think it was. Mm-hmm. That's such a big gap to claw back. But and like I say, at that level, you can't be doing that. Uh, Sean, well, it could be worse. He could have been Edinburgh's uh, position and uh, easy to talk about a second uh, season syndrome. Um, is there anything dramatically different from last year or can you explain the well the, the current malaise? No, I mean, I'm, I'm not so clued in on the, the Edinburgh side of things and their the inner workings and whatnot, but obviously Richard Cockrell brought in a good culture for last season and you saw them how much they improved last year. I think it's just one of those starts. They've not they've had a fairly difficult opening they have, of the yeah. season with a lot of away games. Um and they've got a, like obviously Leinster at home is a, a tough place to go regardless. Um obviously a few easier easier hopefully easier rounds coming up in, in the home games and the opposition to claw back a few points. But the start of the season is always it's almost say vague because it's it's the second half of the season where you make your money and where it really matters because that is obviously when you you finalise your your final league position. If you have a poor start, you can often claw it back. But if you have a a bad end of the season, then you can see yourself dropping back down with no recovery. So it's still early days yet. Well, there were some strange uh, results over the weekend. Uh, Scarlets going down to Connaught, uh, Ulster go well drawing away with uh, Cheetahs. But Cardiff putting 30, 37 points on Munster stood out for me. Yeah, and I suppose that's kind of the way the league is going. It's getting more competitive. And it's just going that way. And you, you can't, there's no such thing as easy teams. Okay, you might say the, the Italian teams and the African teams are, they're certainly the weaker, but then you look at the results from the weekend and they'll sting you if you're not careful. And it's that sort of thing. If you don't, the same with everything. If you don't give the opposition the respect they deserve, they'll come and bite you in the in the ass, as it were. So you have to you have to take them all seriously. Well, we've only we're only four games in. Do you expect the 
uh, normal shakeout to occur with the usual suspects, or might we see, you know, one or two sides, you know, from outside the usual pack challenging? Yeah, you know, I'd, just for the for the mix up, it'd be nice if somebody outside the usual pack came through. Oh, I mean, you look at uh, Connor a couple of years ago. Well, the year they won it, they've been always drifting around the the bottom half, and then all of a sudden they have a that great season and end up firing up and the one winning the thing. So. It's always nice a little, little fairy tale story just to, to mix it up. But looking at the likes of Leinster, they're so strong. Obviously, mm-hmm. won the double league and championship uh, double last time round. So they're obviously, I think, still the, the league favourites. But um, yeah, I'd love you'd love to see. Always as a Scotsman, you always love the underdog story because it's normally normally us and the underdog. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sean, got to leave it there. But thank Not you very all. much. Great as usual, like Sean Lament, the former Scotland international. Well, the England World Cup countdown, it's the same for them as everyone else. 11 months, 27 days, officially less than a year. Well, white noise, that is the effect created by the sound of England supporters cheering the team on, which has inspired the new design of the England shirt. My God, what have they been smoking in the marketing (laughs) department? You know what gets me about these things? When you see them, it beggars belief that you thought, someone actually thought it was a good idea, but not only that... Other people also thought it was a good idea. And then it went up the chain and they all thought it was a good idea. And you look at it and you think, my God, I just don't believe it. it uh, I know I know it's for marketing purposes. I, I understand all that. I understand I'm not in the, the demographic, grumpy old middle-aged men. I'm not the demographic. I understand that. However, I, you know, I, I just fail. The All Blacks do not mess around with their kit to mm. anything like the extent. Well, you, you've that played at Twickenham, Brian. Is it white noise? Is that the effect that you hear when, oh, when the crowd's cheering you? I've no idea what they mean. <laughs> white noise is usually, you know, just buzzing in the background. Is that what they really mean? Well, it might be. Yeah, it could be. But it doesn't say, it's not a good thing, is it? And it doesn't sound it, though. No. Anyway, look, this squad, mm. I know there is another one to come, but for the first time in a long time, I can't understand some of the selections, and that worries me. Because, you know, Eddie Jones has always been quite candid. He's always been straightforward, at least, you know, I've spoken to him. And his selection criteria, yes, people who are proven talent understand that. um, But he majored on form. And when I look at some of the picks, I find it difficult to understand. And unless, I mean, he was willing, for example, in the case of Cipriani to come out and, you know, say what the pecking order was and, Say Danny needs to work on those areas, not sure what they are. Um, when I spoke to Cipriano, I'm not sure what he knows what they are, especially. Yeah, yeah. But then in other areas, like the back row, the uh, exclusion of uh, Kresig and uh, you know other other players, Underhill and so on. Any player from Exeter. Well, yeah. yeah. You, 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 I'm left shaking my head and wondering, why have we not got the definitive one, two, three, say for number six, number eight, number seven? Because that would surely help. Yeah, uh, this is where I, uh, the one area where I'm willing to give Eddie uh, the benefit of the doubt with this squad is, is the fact that Dan Cole isn't in there. A- and if you were playing a test match tomorrow, Dan Cole would, would surely be in his test match 23, if not in his starting team. No. Do you, you don't think he no. would be? You think he wouldn't be in his 23? No, and I don't think he should be. So who So who would start then? Well, look, you've got to... <laughs> the, 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 I mean, the, one of the problems is that, say, for example, uh, Kyle Sinclair... He's coming in and out yeah. of the Quince team, not starting enough games for me. And then you've got inexperience outside that. But there comes a point where 
even players with the experience of coal, you know, are surplus to requirements. And I'm afraid, you know, work rate and things like that, just not good enough. So in which case, it's all the more important that Eddie's picked who he's picked, which is Sinclair and, and Harry Williams and I think Nick Shonnet at Tighthead. But all of a sudden, you now need a, a solid England starter in that position going through to the World Cup. And, and is, that, is that Sinclair? Is that Harry Williams? That, that's, that's just my take. My, my well, look, take I wouldn't, I, he, traditionally, I would have always said, yes, you need a really strong front row after scrummage first. But even with the players who were touted as being that, mm. they have been so far from dominant in the past two or three years uh, as, as to be not effective and not making the difference in the tight. Therefore, you might as well have players who just scrap their hold their own and mm. do other things. Sure, okay. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's lots of other omissions that, that really don't make sense. Matt Kvezik is is playing his best rugby for years. Um, Sam Simmons, we didn't touch on when we talked about Exeter earlier, but I think he's now up to 20 premiership tw- tries in 27 appearances or something absurd. And But it's not just the tries, he, he still is playing well, and yet he's... Well, looking dropped. at the order, you know, say for seven, is it is it Curry uh, and Rhodes or... Uh, who knows? Because, yeah. again... I know we are a year out, but the number of internationals, we've got how many? 14, is it? Depending on how many. Yeah, 14, yeah, I think. Yeah. So not that many. You'd get a player who's relatively new, going to probably have less than 20 caps. Now, if you're um, you know, a Michael Hooper or an extraordinary talent like that, then that may not matter as much. But you know, whilst they've got a promise and Curry has promise and so on, you don't see initially at least... You know that sort of um, you know ability straight off, which Australia uh, uh, more than anyone actually seemed to be able to pitch very young players in, yeah. and they perform maturely. And I, the, but this has been an area which has caused England trouble, significant trouble, like the centre partnerships, like the back three. They're still not sorted, and it's as simple as this: if England can't get a balanced back row, then their chances in the World Cup are severely, severely diminished. Yeah, certainly. You're right. It it is the same old gripes of what is the centre pairing and what is the back row combination. I mean, we're possibly looking at Michael Rhodes now coming in for the November internationals and then being the sixth through to the World Cup, or or it might be Brad Shields. I mean, he's got his injury, but we don't know. I I think Tom Curry is the the number one player now at open side flanker. I think that's become clear given uh, the injuries that Sam Underhill's had, and actually the way that Curry's played. I mean, there was very little, little for sale to be happy about with that defeat against Wasps on Saturday, but, but Tom Curry was really, really solid again and, and really impressive, and, and he has probably done enough to, to be England's open side, but then it does, as with Rhodes, it does feel very last minute, and, and it, likewise, if he's now going to play Owen Farrell at 10, then he's going to have a new centre pairing again with a limited run of matches up into the World Cup when the plan all along was seemingly Ford and Farrell. I mean, if he goes down that direction, then that's starting over again. Well, he's always wanted, you know, a, a powerful centre in one of the positions, and Teo and Tuolangi fit that mould. Yeah. But both have uh, less so for Teo. I feel more sorry for Teo. Significant injury breaks, and can you rely on on their fitness? I mean, presumably he's praying that he has that option. And you mentioned, and the obviously the, the most. Uh, Hotly debated topic was the omission of Cipriani. And when, you know, he says that uh, on form he's a third choice, well, I, I, not, what, not what I've been watching. No, no, but he, does, he has also raised the levels of, of George Ford and Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell was excellent yesterday when they, when they faced off and, and George Ford is, 
has had a good, a, a, well, a very good start to the season, despite Leicester's many, many shortcomings. So, so Cipriani's form has been good enough to to raise the levels of those two players. But equally, Dan, Danny's had what a couple of man of the match awards. He's played out of his skin. His defence is not the turnstile that it used to be, and I, I think it's taking people a long time to get up to speed with that. He has actually improved defensively. He's not going to be Richie McCaw kind of attacking people, but but it's a lot better than it was. I don't think you can just point at that anymore and say. It's oh, the equal of, uh, of Ford. Yeah, yeah, arguably so, exactly. And, and in which case, he's got all the more case to be in England starting testing him as George Ford does because it's no longer this kind of glaring issue where he was being kind of hidden out on the wing all the time. Mike Brown has had injury problems and uh, he's been playing and um, being played on the wing and seen as a wing option. Uh, Elliot Daly's form's been good. Do you think he's going to be playing at fullback? Playing at fullback, quite possibly. Um, he, he played at 13 again for Wasps on the weekend. He, he never seems to kind of have a position entirely nailed down. Uh, I'm not certain what his best position is anymore. I, I always thought it was 13, but but the fact that he kind of pops up where he pops up does make him very versatile. He he could be left wing, he could be fullback given Anthony Watson's injuries. And, and if he did have a, a fullback, then maybe this is Joe Cook and Seager's time. Maybe you go with the hot hand and you play a winger who's in form out on, out on that left wing as well. And even the back three where England have loads of options with Jack Noel and Johnny May and all these players, we still don't have a cast iron back three like the All Blacks where you know that, that Ben Smith is going to play and you know that Rico Iwani is going to play on the wings. But, but with England, it still feels as though, even though Johnny May's coming for a great season, that we're still not concrete on who the starters are. Well, Cocker Senior... There is enough time, provided they pick him in the autumn series, for him to get some international experience. And there is always uh, one or two flyers. He might just be one. Depends whether you have faith in him. I mean, he's a, a remarkable physical talent. Yeah, he, he is, certainly. And, and I think at Bath, he's clearly done enough over the summer to kind of impress the coaches enough to be put straight in that starting 15. I know he's not on a... Uh, on a cheap wage packet by any means, but the fact that he's so young and that he's he's come from London Irish where he had a number of starts, but, but his premiership experience is still raw and, and he looks the part. And, and also I think where he's probably benefiting is the fact that he's at Bath and he's working with someone like Samisi Rocadaguni every week, who's clearly, as we know, got an abundance of skill and know-how out on the wing. And if he can feed off that and, and the other players at Bath, then then he is going to be a remarkable prospect. If not at this World Cup, then in four years' time when he's only going to be 24, 25 years of age. OK, time now to switch to the Women's Premier 15s. Really pleased to say we're joined by the Loughborough Lightning number 8 and forwards coach, Sarah Hunter. Hello, Sarah. Hi, good evening. Well, not a bad weekend for you, was it? Um, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it got a, got a good result against Harlequins at the weekend. I wasn't necessarily surprised by a home win, but the margin of victory, did you expect that? No, not at all. Obviously, Harlequins are, are a fantastic side, and especially knowing what they were capable of, of last year, sort of finishing runners-up in the final. Um, we were certainly expecting a, a very competitive game, and we played them in a in a pre-season uh, training game as well, so we knew what they were capable of. Um, and I'm not sure the score quite reflected the game at points um, in there. But um, yeah, we were we were really happy of, of our performance. Um, there's times this season when it hasn't really clicked for us and we've been frustrated by our own enforced errors and our, our own hard doing. But um, it just sort of seemed to, to all come together on Saturday to put down quite a comprehensive um, performance for us and, and take home a, a, a very good win. 
Well, your pack has been performing well, and uh, how have you taken to the uh, coaching role? Yeah, I know it's it, we we've had a few signings over the summer, which always helps when you when you get um, uh, a couple of props and a, um, a few back row players. Always adds to to, to the job mm. that you've got to do. But um, we've just gone back to gone back to basics um, and looked at our, our real detail in in getting our processes right um, and spent a lot of time over pre-season um, and doing that uh, and then to create the foundations for us to, to build on throughout the season. But for, for the coaching role, I, I, it's my second year in and I came in sort of halfway through the, the sort of season last year. So I didn't get a full pre-season with, with the team and as a coach and a player, whereas I think we've really reaped the rewards this year of, of having a, a really good pre-season to, to look at that detail. Um, and, and then as a player, it makes it a lot easier and just getting that balance. So during the week, I can, I can be coach, give them the detail and the information that they need. And then as we get to sort of Thursday night, into Saturday, I switch into into player mode, which makes it um, a lot easier for for me to go and perform, um, and also has that that clarity. And we've we have help around match day for support for for the forwards as well, which um, I think has really benefited us and what we're able to do this year. What was it like for the uh, players who haven't been on TV, you know, international duty, seeing themselves on Sky Sports? Yeah, I think it was quite a novel experience. Um, we turned up to get the bus to go down to Wasps and there was a lot of hair and makeup um, <laughs> that came out that you could tell that there was a uh, Sky camera going to be about. I was like, girls, we don't normally look like this. And I'm like, oh, but Sky's going to be on. But yeah, I think I think it just showed uh, where we're at and um, the fact that we're having games televised at domestic level is absolutely fantastic and, and there was a real buzz around it for, for the girls that hadn't and you, you kind of forget that actually the first time you play on TV there's those extra nerves or that excitement around it so it, it was really nice for sort of the non-international girls to experience what, what that should be like and they, um, they certainly rose the occasion to, to beat a very good Wasp side away as well. Well, you're not alone with hair and makeup because Jerry Guscott used to be like that. Yeah. He and Carlin used to fight for the mirror, so it's an old uh, it's an it's an old problem in dressing rooms. Uh, overall, look, Saracens continue to you know uh, replicate the form of their men. Uh, impressive setup. Uh, how much of that is down to um, is down to squad players? How much is that down to their stars? Um, I think it's a it's a bit of both. Um, I think obviously you obviously need a key, a few key like um, players, especially in certain positions. But ultimately, you need the strength and depth within within a team, and I, I think that that is really important. And I think rugby's the like ultimate in that to say actually you're you're only as strong as as each other. And yes, you do need those those special star like players. But if you haven't got the foundation of of your squad beneath that, then there's probably no point really having those players in your team. What do you think about Bristol? Because it was uh, it was a fairly resounding win over Gloucester, Hartbury. Uh, the setup there, because obviously the club itself and the me- the men's club, it has uh, an enormous amount of money. Uh, is the setup fairly similar for the women? Are they given the not not necessarily equal treatment, but are they given uh, you know decent facilities? Yeah. So. Um, I was at Bristol a couple of years ago and you could start to see the, the change there being 
the women's team being part of uh, Bristol Sport, and uh, which obviously looks after a lot of the sports teams in Bristol with yeah. the football and and the rugby and um, all the other other sports attached to it was, and that you could, I think this year they, they've taken a massive um, shift in incorporating um, women's rugby into um, into their sort of network fraternity, especially. Um, through rugby, like this, this seems a lot stronger. I know Pat Lam has has gone down and investing a lot of time in in supporting the the women's team, and there's a lot of crossover. So um, they'll go in and watch the men train, and the men's players will go down and support and deliver a session with the women. So it it, it seems like a club um, and a team that is coming um, together as one for for the men and women. And the women train at a slightly different um, place. They, um, but the the quality of facilities they have have there is um, is really high, and I think that's really allowing them to do what they've done this year. And they've got a very young, exciting team that has been nurtured in a, a really positive way through Kim Oliver, their their head coach there. Sarah, got to leave it there, but thank you very much for coming on the show, and good luck with the rest of the season. Oh, thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me on. That's okay. That's Sarah Hunter, the Loughborough Lightning number eight and forwards coach. Well. That's very nearly all. Then, when Eddie Jones was winning, and winning a lot, then, you know, he could afford to say to people, I don't really care what you think. Um, and that's indeed what he did, he did uh, say, yeah. and in Eddie we trust. I get the sense that, although, this is another question from uh, Twitter, Craig Shelton asks, if England have a poor autumn series, is Eddie Jones' position untenable? Well, the answer to that is he's not going to be sacked, uh, no matter what happens, and... I would agree with that because if you're going to give someone the full four years, you have to give them that and he'll have to carry the can thereafter. Uh, also, such a short time out, very limited number of candidates would be available, mm. even fewer that would be suitable, even fewer that would make a dramatic difference. So you know, Eddie has got to sort the problems out. The, mo- the thing for me is if we go into the World Cup still having problems with the balance in the back row, the centre partnership and, you know, the 10, 12, 13 axis, to a lesser extent in the back row, then that is going to be, to me, a failure. And it, almost, it is almost certain that however well England do or don't do, they would have done, they will do better if those problems are sorted. And they've been, they've been known for a long time, and I would be really disappointed if that was the case and they couldn't get something settled there. Yeah, yeah, you're entirely right to, to brand it as a failure because the whole idea about this World Cup cycle, the whole idea about appointing um, Eddie Jones and, and the assistance that he had when he started with with Borthwick and Gusted was that everything this time would be planned out perfectly to deliver a good finish at the next World Cup and that plans would be put in place to develop the right back row balance and the right centre pairing and that and the money was put in to achieve that. And so therefore, if England, you could argue that England have already come up short of that aim because there is so much uncertainty. But certainly, if we get to Japan and we're still we're still trying to work out how how this team is best shaping up and, and, and then that has a, an offset effect where England don't do well at the World Cup, then it would be a colossal failure. And, and, and obviously, fingers would then be pointed and, and, and you'd be right to, to look at what went wrong and, and have a thorough examination. I, I mean, like you say, He's not going to get sacked in the autumn. But I think regardless of what happens, it's way too late. I mean, Michael Checker, before the last World Cup, came in about this time and it was an absolute miracle that Australia were as competitive and as they were. let's get this plain. England, when they're all fit, they do have a lot of talent. Yeah. 
they do have uh, increasing amounts of experience now. They should have the right balance in terms of caps for the first time in a long time. So not damning England at all. Of course, we you know want them to do well. I suppose we'll, we will see, given the increased uh, performances from South Africa and Argentina, not just how they stand in relation to the world's number one team, but also the teams that are you know there and thereabouts at the top table and whether they deserve to be there. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host Ben Coles and, as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode and write a review whilst you're there too. But for now, it's goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.